Innovation Thought Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Langley. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of introducing Jim Bramlett. Throughout Jim's extensive career, he's worn a lot of hats and played several roles in the success of numerous businesses. As a serial entrepreneur, Jim has founded multiple companies, with his journey leading him to become a Vistage chair. In this capacity, Jim is committed to helping mid-sized company CEOs and owners thrive professionally and personally. His expertise, guidance, and support brings business leaders together that are seeking growth and development. Jim's also the visionary behind Five String Solutions, a technology firm that bridges the gap between shippers and local last-mile carriers. Jim focuses on enabling real-time information sharing and enhancing shipment visibility. So he's looking to revolutionize the logistics landscape there, I would say. Uh, for his entrepreneurial uh, pursuits, he was uh, an executive at uh, Yushin and FreightPro.com and as a leading new product development at Yellow Freight. So those give uh, Jim a lot of experience and deep understanding of the logistics and transportation sector. And that was late, the foundation for his own ventures. Furthermore, Jim has shared his knowledge by authoring the insightful book, The Unconventional Thinking of Dominant Companies. In this publication, he provides insights into how businesses can secure a dominant position in their respective markets. Join us in this episode as we delve into Jim Bramlett's remarkable journey and gain valuable insights from his extensive business experience. Stay tuned for an engaging conversation filled with innovation and thought leadership. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thank you, Eric. I'm just super excited to be here. That is great. You know, a lot of times uh, when you when I mention the word Vistage, uh, people don't really know what that means and uh, like to get an idea of how your experience in transportation and logistics inspired you, be, you to become a Vistage chair and even maybe tell us a little bit about what that what that organization does. Yeah, I, I'm happy to do that. Listen, Eric, uh, a year ago, I had not heard of Vistage and I started my entrepreneurial journey uh, back in 1999 in a real way. I had created a couple uh, smaller companies, but didn't amount to a whole lot. But this was a real journey into my first uh, role as an entrepreneur, starting a company. Um, I raised a little bit of venture capital, but I was a visionary, and I wasn't. I'd, I'd never been a leader. Nobody ever came in and you know, anointed me president or CEO. I, I cut it a bit of myself. And, uh, um, you know, I had a board of directors, but I learned real quickly that you don't go to the board of director with all your issues because the board will go, well, maybe we don't have the right guy in the seat. And, um, you know, yes, I could turn to my leadership team, but some of my issues, frankly, were, were right there. And so I didn't have anybody to turn to. And it absolutely was the loneliest job I ever had. And so when Vistage got old of me a year ago, they said, we're, we're all about supporting business leaders. And we do that through peer advisory groups. And we're looking to add another CEO peer advisory group in Kansas City. And they described it to me where CEOs, presidents, owners, leaders get together and they help each other 
make better decisions. And then there's a training or continuous education on leadership. And I reflected back <laughs> to my time as a first-time CEO going, oh, my gosh, I wish I'd had known about that at that time. And and so because of my experience, not having anybody to turn to, not, you know, not thinking about, boy, I had have peers to bounce ideas off and realizing the number of mistakes I made, um, I said, you know, if I can help other leaders um, get through the lonely factor, uh, work with each other, because uh, everybody has different experiences, um, and and boy, if I can if I can just help anybody not go through what I went through, that'd be a, a worthy uh, clause. So um, I did some research, and uh, matter of fact, the, the the my my first call was to a friend of mine who owns a small trucking company in Kansas City. And I asked Mike, I said, Mike, have you ever heard of a company called Vistage? And he started laughing. And I, hey, why are you, why are you laughing, Mike? And he said, because I've been a, a member for four and a half years and unsolicited told me it's the best investment of time and money he's ever made on himself. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. okay. That, that, that says a lot. So I did more research and everything that I researched it all turned up just outstanding and so i decided uh, to do this and uh, it's been a great journey i'm still on the journey and i'm loving it uh i hope i'm contributing uh to my members and uh so far i think they're getting a, a lot out of it we're processing issues we're making decisions together um we're also learning we're learning about ai and think you know it's the next revolution and so it's just a lot of fun yeah, that's great. You know, you mentioned a couple of times just there, you know, making decisions. And I think that's a fascinating thing because what we're really talking about there is like a meta. You don't think of like making decisions as a business skill or something that you can develop. Can you talk a little bit about that model in Vistage and what it looks like? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we all make decisions. I, I, You know, they say the average human makes 35,000 decisions a day. You know, it's you very micro uh, decisions, but as a, a bit, as a business leader, you have to make decisions that impact a lot of other people, um, especially your employees, your shareholders, and and your customers. You're you're making very key decisions, and you can do that in in isolation, just by your gut or intuition, and hope that you're right. Or you can, you know, have a sounding board that I, I, I believe peers, you know, may have had that same experience and, and, and maybe they learned the hard way. They made one decision and then they go look back and go, man, I wish I hadn't made that decision. I wish I'd have done that. And so I think when you have these big decisions that impact other people, it is a wise thing to do to lean on others that you trust, maybe who are like-minded and say, hey, I'm thinking about this to solve this issue, or, hey, I've got this big opportunity, but I have to make this big investment, and, I, you know, I don't know. And, and just by having a sounding board of people with other experience, I think it just gives you, um, you know, a path to, to maybe make a better decision. And, and that's, that's the real power uh, of this decision. We spend a full day per month. We gather together, sit in person around the table, and half the day is uh, we go around the room 
talking about what issues, opportunities, and decisions leaders have. And, and we have a process to go through that and, and everybody chimes in. Here's, here's what I would do. But the, the person who brings the issue, opportunity, or decision they have to make, they, they ultimately have to make the decision. But by having others weigh in, I think it's a, it's a great process for a leader to think about, you know, all the implications of a big decision they're about to make. Yeah, and you're right where you finished there, talking about the leader, you know, making that decision. I mean, it really is a leadership function. You have somebody has to make these decisions, and of course, in Vistage, you're talking about CEOs or CEO slash business owners, and you know that's where the buck is stopping. It, you know, you call, it's a critical function, and you know, in, in many ways, you might look at Vistage and say, "Wow, it's really old school, right?" You know, your guys are sitting or or gals too, sitting around a table and talking it out, right? That's you know, hashing it out. It, it's the best way. Look, I, you know, in every big decision, it's key that you think it all the way through. Now, if you're only thinking about 80% of it, you know, that other 20% might have the biggest impact on the decision you're about to make. And maybe somebody else in the room can bring up that other 20%. And go, oh, I haven't thought about that. Mm, you know, man, yeah. that's important. That's where I think getting people around the table old school really works. Yep. Yeah. So you get those insights that, uh, you know, could really make it big difference and that that completely makes makes sense so you know we talk about some of the decisions you can make and um i was you know i read your your book uh which i mentioned in the intro the unconventional thinking of dominant companies and you bring up the concept of uh measuring from a customer perspective what you call the hassle factor can you share some thoughts on um what that is how it works and maybe some of the benefits of doing something like that yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that for some reason I've had this knack for creating new products, new services, and also starting new companies. I'm, I don't know why. I, I think I challenge, well, why do we do things this way? And why do we do things that way? And, um, but I really didn't think about how I went about creating this new opportunity, new service, new product. And, and why and I, and I really got to thinking about it four or five years ago and and then I I started to examine companies like Amazon and and Uber and Netflix and even a couple of local Kansas cities and I said what how did they get in this dominant position and how they do it so quickly and and I just started peeling back the onion and um you know, Amazon's my favorite, in, and I actually, at one time, I had an interview with them, and I, I was, uh, I got introduced to their leadership principles, and and their number one leadership principle is, you know, they obsess about customers, they put the customer at the center of their universe and work backward, and I found that unbelievably fascinating, that, you know, it's not all about them and what they can do it's all about the customer and what they need and so it, it boils down into in my mind four needs customers buyers have they they have a need to, to save time and effort they have a, a need to simplify and make their lives easier they they, they have a need they want to save money obviously and everybody just rushes right to that and then they also have a need for great 
user experience. And and so I looked at Amazon, Uber, Netflix, those, and I go, wait a minute, they're they're hitting on all of those. They're, in other words, they're, they try and eliminate or minimize the excuses a buyer has to use them by saving them time, effort, making their lives simpler, easier, saving them money, and giving them a great experience. And a lot of companies, most companies, in my opinion, have some sort of trade-off. They'll say, hey, we're going to give you a great experience, but boy, you're going to have to pay for that. Or we're going to save you a lot of time, but you're going to have to pay for that. Um, and, and so I found it fascinating that those dominant companies um, do all four. And and so because companies, and, and I, I absolutely believe that, you know, most companies uh, quantify everything, revenue costs, you know, and, and all their internal budgets and and so I decided that, you know, to, to be meaningful, we need to have a quantifiable measurement to understand how much time and effort are you saving customers? How much, how, how simple and easy are you to engage, uh, you know, pricing? How competitive are you? And what about your user experience? How, how do you relate to your competitors and other options that buyers have? And and so I created what's, what I call the hassle quotient because, you know, time, effort, simple and easy. You know, if you don't have that, it becomes a hassle. And and so I said, you know, not that it's the right formula, but I created this formula that said, yes, you can quantify this mm-hmm. and start putting it as a KPI um, and and measure it over time. And and I, I just believe that, you know, one of the most important things I preach is you need to talk to your customers and not in a just open-ended, hey, what can I do for you? I, I believe you need to drill down. How can I save you more time, Mr. Customer? How can I save you effort? Now, how can I make your life simpler and easier? How can our product do that? You know, are we competitively priced? Are we transparently priced compared to other options? And then on our user experience, how, how do you rate us compared to other options that you've used or have in front of you? And And when you... You know, take hey, give me on a scale of one to ten. Our our customer experience, ten being outstanding, and one being oh my gosh, I would never use you again because of this experience. How do we rate? And and if right. if companies go to their buyers and customers and start quantifying that, they they can put it in a formula like the Hassle Quotient and constantly then try to improve upon that. Yeah. So these sound like non financial indicators, and uh, you know we all in the business world, when we look at, you know, financial numbers, we're looking at the past, <laughs> right? Yeah. These, are, these yeah. are not leading indicators. I mean, they're, they're not telling us what's going to happen. Uh, but it seems like if you have something like, how is the customer experience trending, which is present moment, uh, and it's, and it's trending up, then you could have a financial indicator that in the future is going to make an improvement. What does that look like? What do you, what do you, what do you see when you look at those KPIs? Well, um, you know, my story is after 40 some years and working for a lot of other companies, I have yet to go into a meeting where the meeting started about customer metrics. Every meeting that I've ever attended, we always talk about, well, here's our, here's our revenue. Here's our cost. Here's our budget. Here's how we're doing to budget. You know, here's all the IT projects, you know, that we have. 
<laughs> uh, and and it, it's all about that. And and listen, the way you hit your revenue, the way you hit your budget, is by taking care of the customer. If the customer is taken care of, and and you're meeting on all four of those qualitative, you know, you're giving them a great experience. You're saving them time and effort. You're making their life simpler and easier, and your cost can bet. If you don't give them excuse to use any bales, guess what? Your revenue is more likely to hit budget. Um, and, and then there's obviously the cost side. You know, I think as part of this formula, look, competitive pricing, it's, it's not that, hey, you don't have to necessarily cut your margin, but what you're striving to is eliminate waste, reduce your costs, figure out how to get your costs lower so that you can then, you know, uh, extend that to customers in lower pricing. That's that's what it's all about. And, and so, you know, I believe that most companies, um, they, their rooms are full of mirrors and they're looking at themselves and they're not looking out at, hey, what's really fueling your company? It's it's your customers. And I think Amazon does that better than, than anyone. Yeah, and that's great. And that's really, what, you know, when you look at what the hash, hash, hassle quotient is saying, it's, it's looking at everything from the customer's perspective. And that's, really the one that matters. I mean, you have other stakeholders, but they're the one that's driving the engine and, and really the purpose uh, for the company. Yeah. I, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, you know, their whole, their number one leadership principle, we obsess about the customer. We put them at the center of our universe and we work everything back. And I love that thought. Where, where I believe most companies, they look internally and say, well, what, do, what can we do and what do we do and let's just do it better. And then they hope that there's some stickiness with the customer. And that, I, I think that little philosophy is, is a, major, uh, a, a major deal uh, and sets Amazon apart from, say, others. Yeah, and it's, so it's interesting that you mentioned Amazon. Obviously, you know, a globally amazing uh, organization. I love Amazon. Use them all the time. How does a mid-sized business then try to maybe not duplicate but emulate uh, what Amazon does? Uh, how does that work? And because the because the resources are less, right? I mean, Amazon has a lot of resources, tremendous buying power. But what does that look like for a mid-sized business that maybe isn't in the technology space or something like that um, that is local or regional yeah i think I, I think it's really really important for the smaller companies who strive to be like amazon you know to make it more personal um you know everybody knows amazon's a goliath and you know when you deal with goliath you're 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 involved in their process and yes they may put you at the center of their universe but the personal touches may not necessarily be there. Uh, but but i give you an example. Like um, I, I've, I've been in, in the transportation logistics industry pretty much my in, entire career. And in my last endeavor, um, as you said, we, we help uh, enhance the visibility, shipment visibility in the final mile space. Final mile, obviously, with e-commerce has, has grown tremendously. And everybody everybody likes that. Amazon experience because you get to see the visibility of your package or shipment coming to you and you've got all these milestones. Well, not everybody's Amazon. And so if you're a smaller company, um, how, how do you get that visibility to, to your customer? So that's the kind of uh, technology we use. But my point is when I'm, when I started the company and started dealing with a lot of these small 
uh, final mile carriers, it it's like you, you go out to their website and to get a quote for their service, they want you to fill out this long form. And I and I go, wait a minute, I'm, I don't want to take the time or the effort to fill out a long form to get a quote. It's just not that. That's when I say, hey, save your customers time and effort. Don't put me through that process to try and use you. Okay, so it, it's it, that's one tiny example. Another one is when I when I started the company, I wanted to create a referral network, of final mile carriers. I knew that a lot of them are very small; they might serve just an individual market, maybe an entire state, but nobody knows who's out there who can help them deliver a sofa or a refrigerator, and and, and there's thousands of these uh, final mile carriers. So I built a referral network. And yes, I knew a lot of them, but I didn't know all. So I go out searching on the web, find their website. Ah, you service the state of Oregon. Great. I'd like you to be part of my referral network. Well, what do I do? I hit contact us. And contact us, I think, universally is a, is a black hole. <laughs> Nobody would get back to me. And I, I'm going, I don't. I don't get it. It's, I'm not contacting you to complain. I'm contacting you to hopefully give you a business opportunity, but nobody gets back to me. And I I go, okay, that's a problem. That's a bad user experience right there. So from the forms to, hey, not being responsive to me, that's what the small companies have to really hone in on, saving time, effort, you know, give them a better experience be more attentive, responsive, uh, and and you'll set yourself apart from the Amazons of the world. Right. Exactly. Now you look at that example like the like the, the contact us page, which really is a black hole. And the modern take on that would be now you have the chat bot. And the chat bot has you know, maybe it's got some AI, it can answer some of your questions, but there's also that handoff that goes from the automated to the person and the person just takes over when the conversation needs to be uh, moved to the next level. But your user experience is much better than just filling out a form and saying your data has been submitted. <laughs> you know, and then you, you don't know what's going to happen now. Even it's if, like, if the thing says, we'll call you back in 20 minutes, that's better than, you know, nothing. So, like, yeah. Absolutely. I had a talk the other day and I asked the audience, I said, I want you to be honest, raise your hand if you've ever yelled and screamed at the auto attendant on, on, on a phone, Oh, you know, because press two to talk, press it. And yeah, 80% yeah, sure. of the people raise their hands. Okay. And I go, okay, yeah, I get it. I get your phone tree, you know, as your, your, you know, chat bots. Um, they're all about saving money, but they're not about enhancing the user experience. And so I think there has to be a balance there of, um, you know, picking up the phone, being, talking to a human, because we all, humans like to talk to humans. And then um, I love the chat feature, but I also like it when I know I'm talking to a real human. Yes, the initial, like you said, the initial part of that process might be a bot, but, you know, hey, if you can get me over to a human where I, where I know I'm really getting the answers I'm looking for, that, that's a better experience for me. Right, right. And it saves everybody time because now they get the right person on after you've had a little bit of interaction 
okay, you need to be over on this segment of the sales team or whatever. And, um, and there that's really augmenting that, that salesperson's capability, um, doing some of that conversation before, before the fact. So good for a mid-sized company because they get to uh, leverage some technology, but still provide that, um, you know, personalized, uh, deal. I, I have an expression that, uh, I believe that all of us consumers and buyers, we want to be treated like we're the only customer company. We know they're not, but we yeah. like to be treated. We want to be treated that way. Yeah. And only so much a bot or a phone tree can do to treat me like they're their only Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. We're talking a little bit here about artificial intelligence with the new uh, chatbots and um, learning about the customer. You know, with all the stuff that's happening with our artificial intelligence, what do you think our what do you think our business world is going to look like in maybe the next three to five years? What's what's coming? Yeah, I'm not I'm not an AI expert, but I'm fascinated by the topic. I I do believe, you know, it's the next revolution. Um, I tell I tell my leaders in my business group, I I said, hey, I was around in 1995 when this thing called the internet came out, and and there were two groups of people. There were the group that said, ah, it's a fad, it's gonna, not gonna go away, and then there was the group that said, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder what it's more about. I want to learn about it. Well, that that's what I believe about AI. I believe it is the next revolution and. And I can't tell any leader exactly, you know, how to apply AI to their business. But I said, be curious and learn and start figuring it out. And and, and so one of the things, and again, Eric, you may be probably more of an expert than I am, but, you know, I I, I love the chat GPT and the, the large language models to help, you know, you compose and create content. But where I think the real power of AI is, is then the machine learning. You can take internal data, okay, and match it with external data and, and, and be more predictive, in, uh, which allows you then to be more proactive with your customers and say, oh, hey, I, 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 I see you haven't, you know, purchased this widget in the last 30 days, but you, you know, used to buy it every week. You know, and, and if you can be more predictive and proactive with your customer base, I I think, A, I think consumers see that as, hey, they're really interested in me. They know about me, and they're asking, hey, are you sure you don't want to, you know, repurchase this because you did so much in the past? That's where I believe the real power of AI is in the machine learning by matching, you know, some internal data being more predictive and and be more proactive in engaging your customer. That, right. That's how I see it right now. I do think, obviously, you know, robotics is important, and, and when you're looking to control and lower costs so that you can then extend lower pricing to customer, right. anything you can do there I think is also important. Yeah, and quality because you have this uh, duplicatable, uh, you know, system, even all the way into healthcare. You look at robotic healthcare, uh, the doctor is there, but it's he's just there to make sure nothing goes wrong. <laughs> no, my gosh, I think, yeah, I think healthcare, I think AI and healthcare are just going to be uh, absolute game changers without a doubt. Yeah, exactly. So if you were, you know, we're 
talked about your book a little bit. If you were going to write a book tomorrow, what would your topic be like? Would you expand on what you've already talked about in the past, or would that be, or would be a new direction that you go in? Yeah, it's funny you say that, because I am starting to, to pencil out. In, in my book, The Unconventional Thinking of Dominant Companies, what I did was just, I listed, here's what these companies are doing. I didn't spend enough time in, well, what you should be doing as a company, you know, and, and everybody thinks, well, gosh, Amazon, Netflix, Uber, those are behemoths. How could I ever do, you know, anything? And they've got all the money in the world. So what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm going more in depth. My plan is to go more in depth on what any and every company should be doing to save your customers time and effort and get into real tactical uh, things. I, I'm, uh, you know, how do you make their lives simpler and easier? How do you, how, how should you, you know, think about pricing uh, from a competitive and transparent uh, nature? And then, you know, how do you, how do you give...